I don't imagine the name David Haxton is familiar to you. His testimony is one that has not been well noted in church history. He was amongst the Covenanters in 17th century Scotland, and he spent much of his life running from the official church who sought to persecute and kill him. He was eventually caught and he stood trial for his faith in Christ. And he said at the trial that he would not renounce his faith, but he was willing to receive the sharpest punishment. The judge then decreed a sharp punishment. He would be dragged through the streets of Edinburgh. He would then have both hands removed. He would then be hung, drawn, and quartered because of his faith in Christ. The history books don't record that Haxton said anything in response, nor did he speak throughout the whole ordeal, save to make one request. As the executioner had removed one hand and seemingly had taken much time about it, Haxton simply asked if he could remove the second hand more quickly. Those that do record this series of events all choose the same adjective by which to describe David Haxton. They all describe him as meek. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, as has been our responsibility as we work through the Beatitudes, today also we need to consider what exactly Jesus is saying. What does it mean to be meek? What is the manner of obtaining meekness? And what's the nature of the reward of which Jesus speaks? What does it mean to be meek? How do we obtain meekness? And what is the reward? They're the three headings that I want to organize our thoughts under this morning. Beginning with the question, what does it mean to be meek? This is one of the more difficult beatitudes to get into and understand. If I'd asked you this morning as you arrive, give me a definition of meekness. My guess is you probably would have hovered around some synonyms. Lowly, gentle, quiet, peaceable, submissive. You maybe would have an example in mind that you could offer me, but to, to pin down a definition is actually quite difficult. What does it mean to be meek? There are two helps that we could take advantage of to get into an understanding of Jesus' words here. And the first is to note the progression of thought through the Beatitudes. So perhaps you'll remember last week I mentioned you shouldn't read the Beatitudes as a disparate collection of sayings with no relationship to the immediate context. As Jesus gives these Beatitudes, it does seem to some degree that there is a logical progression, an argument as it were. So he begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that are spiritually impoverished, 
or I should say those that are willing to acknowledge their spiritual poverty. From there, he says, blessed are those who mourn. That is, blessed are those who not only acknowledge their spiritual poverty, but grieve the fact. We grieve our manifold sins and wickedness. That's what we confess this morning. From there, he says, blessed are the meek. And the understanding is that with the first two Beatitudes in hand, an acknowledgement of your sin and a grieving of your sin now begins to affect the way you view yourself not only before God, but also before others. You see, it's maybe too obvious to even state, maybe self-intuitive as you read Blessed are the Meek, there's an understanding that we're beginning now to probe the manner in which Jesus' disciples will conduct themselves before others. This is not a quality that is isolated only to our relationship before God, but also the way in which we go about our lives in the world. Another help to get us into this definition of meekness is to note the Old Testament precedent from which Jesus is drawing in the second half of the verse. Now, I've labored the point that Isaiah 61 is the primary Old Testament scripture from which Jesus is drawing as he gives these Beatitudes, and that's certainly true. But that's not to say there aren't other texts that also are in view. And chapter 5, verse 5 of Matthew has another text, specifically Psalm 37. You may want to turn there with me. It's instructive for us to look at how Jesus quotes from Psalm 37 and how that gives us a better understanding of what exactly it means to be meek. If you notice in Psalm 37, verse 11, we find nearly verbatim Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 5, the meek shall inherit the land. The meek shall inherit the land. That's what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. That's the, the third beatitude. So, as is always the case, when we notice the Old Testament connection, we are then bound to examine the broader context. It's so important that we zoom out and look at the context in which this verse is found, and I would draw your attention to simply two features of this psalm. Look, first of all, at the psalmist's exhortation as it relates to your trust in the Lord. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. These are the meek. Those that trust in the Lord. That wait patiently for him. The very first part of any definition of meekness must begin with a disposition that trusts in the Lord, a disposition of your heart that is ready and willing to accept His will, His plan, 
to submit to his providence in your life. But notice, secondly, the psalmist's instructions concerning your relationship with others. Verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. And we could go on. These are themes throughout Psalm 37. And so by way of a definition, we would say meekness is a disposition of heart that is oriented towards God with trust, a quietness of spirit, a readiness to accept the Lord's will in your life, and strives to be at peace with those around you. Meekness speaks of trust in the Lord and peace with those around you. It doesn't mean that you don't care about injustice or wrong. It doesn't even mean necessarily that you do not act. But it speaks of the orientation of your heart. And it is a heart that trusts in God, at peace with others. Turning back to Matthew 5 and just considering practically for a few minutes, what does meekness then look like on a day-to-day basis? What does it look like? I would say those who are meek are daily entrusting their way to God. As a practice, the meek are daily bringing the desires of their heart before the Lord and in quiet prayer acknowledging that it is not theirs to determine the course of their life. Father, I I trust you today. I choose to entrust my desires to you. I choose to entrust my plans to you. I know that my ways are not your ways, that your thoughts are not my thoughts, and I humbly submit to your plan for my life this day. That surely is the very first inclination of the meek. The meek also readily accept criticism. So thinking about that horizontal and vertical axis of the meek, they trust the Lord and they are at peace with others, would mean they are ready to accept criticism, even when it is ill-founded. I remember the advice I was given many years back when criticism is brought against you. Slow down, because however ill-placed it might seem, usually there is some truth in there somewhere. I think of the story of Helen Roosevelt when she was in the missionary training college desiring to be sent out to Africa as a missionary. She had a time of probation, where she simply was given given a, a series of chores and responsibilities to go about in the missionary training house, and at the end of it, the board would meet, and they would give her a seal of approval, and she would be sent out. And Helen Roosevelt recounts how she considered that board meeting to be a mere formality. It was just a matter of time before she'd be on her way to Africa, and then, of course, the board met and they refused to send her. 
And the feedback that she was given is that they've seen pride in your life. And she writes how she was devastated. She examined herself over and over and could see no pride in her life. And so her mind was to burst into the board meeting the next time they met and to tell them how wrong they were. And then she says how she quietened her heart. And she said, if they see pride in my life, there must be pride in my life. And I will seek by God's grace to go about my responsibilities with a renewed humility. Now that willingness to accept criticism is meekness. What else does it look like practically? It's a willingness to not retaliate when you suffer wrong. Not only are you ready to accept criticism, but when you are wronged, you are not burdened to retaliate, to exact the wrong on your terms. This week, we were working through a portion of the Sermon on the Mount as a family, and with my kids, we thought through what does it mean to turn the other cheek. And we agreed it means you don't retaliate. It's a wonderful lesson in a home with six children. Well, that's a very difficult thing because it is an attribute of meekness. What else does it look like to be meek is to bear patiently with the failings of others. If meekness is a disposition of trust before God and a, a peace amongst others, it would include bearing patiently with the failings of others. That you're not trying to correct everyone, you're not trying to micromanage, but you're willing to exercise patience as you see those around you fail. All of these and many more that we could list are what we see when we encounter someone who is genuinely meek. Now, if you ponder it, if you ponder this attribute, at least two things come to mind. One is just how impactful meekness truly can be. I don't know if you have someone in mind as you think about meekness. If you've ever met someone who exudes meekness, you see the profound and powerful testimony they have for the sake of the gospel. It is remarkable to meet someone who conducts their life in such a manner that they can say, I'm meek. That the world would look at them and say, look at his meekness. It is a powerful thing to truly be meek. But then immediately what comes to mind is how difficult this is. Difficult for all of us. There are many hindrances to our pursuit of meekness. Perhaps most fundamentally... It is our inbuilt desire to control everything. Our inbuilt reflex of our sinful flesh that pushes back against God's plan for our life, that is unwilling to say, God, your plan is best, and our desire to always be right amongst others. I was once asked, which Bible character do you most resonate with? I said, that's easy. It's Jacob. He fought with God. He was always pushing back against God's best for him. He was never willing to submit to God's plan for his life. God had to break his hip to get him to submit. 
And every time I read of his story and think upon him, I see the sinful tendencies of my flesh. Not least a lack of meekness. A failure to obtain to this characteristic. So then that leads us to ask our second question. How do we obtain meekness? If we understand what it is, how do we obtain meekness? And perhaps you're already there in your thinking to obtain meekness is to look towards Christ as our example. You may be already there in your thinking, not least because Jesus tells us to do this exact thing. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take up my yoke, my burden, which is light. Why? Because I am meek. He instructs us, learn from me. Because I am meek. That word there that is often translated gentle is exactly the same word that is found here in Matthew 5.5. 5. And as many have pointed out along the way, this is one of the few instances where Jesus draws attention to one of his attributes. Most often, if you read the life of Christ, what you see curiously is that Jesus is not in the business of telling us of his attributes. He simply allows the testimony of his ministry to stand for itself. We observe along the way his power and his strength and his truthfulness and his gentleness and his care and his forgiveness. Very seldom does he actually say, I want you to know this about me, and here is one example, I am meek. And it comes with the imperative, so therefore learn. Learn from me, because I'm meek. And we see it all through the life of Christ. Consider in the Garden of Gethsemane when he could see the cross before him. He understood in a way that you and I do not fully comprehend the wrath of God that was coming toward him. And he asked in all honesty with his humanity on display, Lord, take this cup from me. And then the very next thing he says, but not my will, only yours be done. Your will be done. In that moment, he is exuding meekness. Or as Isaiah the prophet tells us in his trial and leading up to the cross, he was struck by men, spat upon, mocked and scorned, and he did not open his mouth. He didn't retaliate. He didn't try and right those wrongs right there and then. His spirit wasn't boasting with pride that, that needed to right all of these injustices. And so we see in the light a wonderful example of meekness that he commands us to learn from. Now, with that being said, there is a very important precursory note that we must state. It is a note that pertains not only to his Imperative there in Matthew 11, learn from me, but is a note that pertains to the Beatitudes as well, and indeed all of the times when we might find Christ to be an example. Often through the Gospels, it is right and proper to look at Jesus as our example, 
but only after you have found him to be your saviour. That is the precursory note that you must always bring to mind as you look to Christ so as to imitate him. You have to remember that you can only do so when you have found him to be your saviour. Think again about that double imperative in Matthew 11. It is not simply learn from me because I am meek. Don't miss the imperative that precedes that. Come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and only then may you learn from me. You cannot learn from Jesus until you have submitted to him, until you have repented of your sin and embraced him as the only one that can fix the great problem of your sin before a holy God. And this relates also to the Beatitudes. We need to remind ourselves weekly, as Jesus preaches this portion of the sermon, he is not giving criteria that we must obtain in order to be counted as his disciples. He's not setting a bar and saying, when you've gotten over this bar, that's when you're in the club. You need to strive and work in your own might so that you are found to be poor in spirit and mourning and meek, and then you'll be counted as mine. That is not what he's saying in the Beatitudes. Remember the broader context. It was not long before that he preached his first sermon in Matthew's Gospel, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn away from your sin. Implication, cast yourself upon me. Then... As my disciple with a new heart, with faith in me, then you will start to demonstrate these characteristics. The Beatitudes should only ever be understood as characteristics of his disciples. You run to Christ first as a savior. Then, by his grace, you strive toward the roadmap that he gives for discipleship, knowing that because of the new heart God has given you, these will become truths in your life. As you are faithful to submit to God's word, to continue to gaze upon Christ, this is what it would look like to be his disciple. His disciples will be meek, poor in spirit, and they will mourn. As we move and we think about the baptisms will celebrate after the service today. Everyone going into the baptistry will share with you their testimony of salvation. Listen. Listen to these testimonies because not one of them will say to you, my life changed when I decided to make Jesus my example. That is not what they're saying. It is true that Jesus is their example in so many ways. That is never the turning point for anyone. My life changed when God opened my eyes and presented to me Christ as a Savior. A Savior for my sin. The only means by which I might be made right with God. And then and only then does He become for you an example. So it is entirely appropriate that we look to Jesus and learn from Him as an example of meekness. But only after we have found him to be a savior. And if you are here this morning and have never confessed the unworthiness 
of your life before a holy God. Never acknowledge the reality of your sins. If you haven't grieved your manifold sins and wickedness. And you have not cast yourself upon Jesus Christ as your Savior. He may not be your example today. First, look with faith to Christ. Confess your sins. Confess His Lordship. And then learn from Him. That you might be meek. What is the reward of such meekness? Remember, every beatitude has a twofold blessing built into it. We've spent some time in the last two weeks thinking about this opening word of each beatitude, blessed. And we've talked about how an acceptable translation here could easily be flourishing, joy-filled, even happy. This word and the theology from which Jesus is drawing in the Old Testament speaks of a, a spiritual prosperity now. A flourishing of your heart and your spirit now. And within each beatitude, there is a forward-looking promise. The second half, when Jesus says for, and then he issues an end-time salvific blessing. So by adhering to this portion of his sermon and taking these beatitudes seriously, we are doubly blessed, both now and in the days to come. So what is the nature of the reward? Blessed are the meek. In the here and now, the nature of the reward is that meekness is a barrier to all anxiety and a fount of peace. I trust you can see this just as you ponder the theology of meekness. It's there in Psalm 37. Read through again this afternoon. See what the psalmist says about the meek and see how one of the immediate fruits of being meek is that you have set up a barrier in your life against all anxiety. However the world might try to instruct your heart that would only ever lead to anxiety, you are pursuing meekness, and so that cannot get in. There is a barrier established around you that gives rise to a fount of peace, of the utmost peace. Why? Because... You conduct each and every day with a disposition of heart that is oriented towards trust in the Lord, trust in His plan for your life, and peace amongst men. As you trust in the Lord and you pursue peace with others, anxieties will flee and peace will abound. That is the nature of the immediate blessing, the flourishing, the joy that meekness brings. Additionally, the future-oriented blessing, Jesus tells us, is that the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, in previous weeks, with the first two Beatitudes, one thing we have noted is the, the tension, the juxtaposition that exists between the idea of flourishing, and then whatever the beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. How can that be? 
This week, that tension is not so much in the first half of the verse, but it shifts to the second. Blessed are the meek, and I trust you can see how being truly meek does bring about a level of joy and happiness because you guard yourself against anxiety and pursue peace. But how is it the meek will inherit the earth? This tension would have been much more acutely felt by those in Jesus' day. They were anticipating, waiting for a military Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who would show up with sword in hand and would overthrow the Roman government by violence. They were waiting for such a man who would would overthrow the Roman government and reclaim their land. They had a strong desire for this very promise. We will inherit the land. But they only thought it would come by violence. And the tension that they would undoubtedly have felt is that Jesus is saying the only way by which which you might gain an inheritance of the whole earth is through meekness. It's not through violence. It is not through violence physically, nor is it by violence in your heart. Be quiet in your heart that you might inherit the earth. Jesus says. And as we've seen so many times, this is a doctrine of which the Old Testament speaks. That there is a day coming when Jesus shall return and establish his kingdom on this earth. And when he does so, it will be a joyful day for all of his disciples. We read and meditated upon these kind of truths in Isaiah 61 just this morning. It is a doctrine that is so often lost in the church today. The reason it is so often lost is because all too often we consider our future reality as being somewhat akin to floating around on a cloud, playing harps. There's no real sense of a physical inheritance. Read your Bibles. See what Jesus and so many of the Old Testament writers promised. A physical earth. And we, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, are co-heirs of that reward with Christ. He will come back as the reigning king. He will establish his kingdom and we will reign with him. And we will enter that kingdom in meekness. There is a hymn that Isaac Watts wrote about this very doctrine. He said, there is a land of pure delight where saints immortal reign. Endless days exclude the night and pleasure banishes pain. We need to hold on to these promises. You must bring to mind the twofold blessing of meekness. A sure and steady barrier against anxiety, a fount of all peace and a future inheritance. So that in the face of all that would instruct us to behave otherwise, we might take seriously Jesus' exhortation to pursue life in a manner that is genuinely meek that is genuinely meek, clinging to Christ as our Savior. May we look to Him as our example.
May we be those who are meek, because blessed are they. They shall inherit the earth. Pray with me now to close. Father, we praise you for Jesus' words that we have thought upon this morning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We give you thanks that you have provided a means by which we may be genuinely meek. We look to Jesus. We learn from him. He is our foremost example in this respect. He had a disposition of trust towards you and peace amongst men. Father, may it be true of us. But may we only look to Christ as our example after having embraced him as our Savior. And as we cling to Christ as our Savior and follow him as his disciples, grant us meekness that we would be blessed and that we would inherit the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.